It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 91, Peace and Betrayal in Hebron, the City of Refuge. On this Passover morning, my family and I got up at about 6.30 a.m. We're in Central Standard Time in the United States. And we went out to see the Passover eclipse of the moon. And it was pretty amazing. So it started maybe 5.30 or 6. And it just... The moon just started to disappear until about 6.30, 6.45. All we could see was just like a fingernail of the moon until it vanished over the horizon. And it was pretty incredible. So as a family, we try to see these events um, for a lot of different reasons. Namely, we just we just like being out there and seeing eclipses or solar eclipses if we can ever see them. Um, but they're pretty incredible. But... I just find that God seems to be more present in those moments. And Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they have no word, no sound is heard in them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pinched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. So you get the gist of Psalms 19. But what I got this morning, and this is all off the cuff here, but what I got this morning was as we saw that fingernail of the moon um, go over the horizon, I looked it up, and Psalms 8 is pretty incredible. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isn't that amazing? These Psalms were written over 3,000 years ago by David and his friends, they really, they really knew God. After many years of civil war in Israel, an end will be coming to the civil strife that threatens to tear Israel apart. But in the middle of the peace overtures and union of the two sides, we get two pictures of the spirit realm. One of the dark image of vengeance and hate 
as represented by Joab, while we see the opposite spirit of mercy and grace as represented by King David. 2 Samuel 3 The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first son was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Micah, daughter of Tamni, king of Jeshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagath. The fifth, Jephthah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithream, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. All right, count it up. Assuming David married all of these women, he's got six wives here. And then there was Michael earlier, who seemed to love her father more than David. And he currently has six sons by these six women. Great way to start, David. A full-blown polygamist. Count it up here. That's six wives. Six, the number for man and the flesh. David's fleshly behavior was taking power over his spirit, indicating a darkening heart. Just keeping tabs here in David's heart, so we're not totally surprised when a beautiful woman who is married to one of his mighty men named Uriah trips onto his path later. It is true the Old Testament and the law doesn't condemn polygamy, though the New Testament does, but it really is just common sense. There's a natural order to things. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Emily. And simply stated, there's not two women for every man on the planet. Okay, if there was six women for every man on the planet, then each man should maybe have six wives. But God did not make it that way. Also, check it out. Micah is a daughter of a foreign king, and there's clearly a law against marrying women of other nations and gods. Here was the law concerning kings written for the future kings of Israel from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17.14 When you enter the land of the Lord your God has given you, and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes a throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. I mean, it's pretty clear. God said to not put your faith in horses and chariots, not to collect excessive riches and multiply wives, or the king's heart will turn away. It's like this specific verse was written for the future king Solomon to be blind to. It's crazy to think it's here in the law, black and white, cause and effect. This sin of foreign wives and multiplication of wives will become a seed of poison that will become full-blown in the next generation. 
Sickening that one could consider a small sin to you and me could become a huge sin in our children. This greatly gives me the fear of the Lord to walk a pure life. Well, the civil war drags on for a while, and David remains king for over seven years in Hebron, when Abner decides to call it quits. There appears to be a power struggle between Ishbosheth and Abner, and Ishbosheth, truthfully or falsely, we are not sure, accuses Abner of sleeping with Saul's concubine. Abner gets furious with Ishbosheth and swears to take away the kingdom from Ishbosheth and give it to David. His anger is so great, Ishbosheth goes along with Abner's lead. Now, whether Abner was selfish in his desire wanting power in David's kingdom, we don't know for sure, though we have our personal opinion that he was an opportunist. He sends word to David of his desire to make peace and join Israel together again. 2 Samuel 3.12 Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you to bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself, for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Barum. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back home. All right, so David says, Okay. I'm good with your idea, but show me you're serious and give me back my original wife. Seriously, David, like you need another wife. You've got six, now seven. She's moved on, David. What's your problem? Like your harem needs to be bigger. Where do you think David is spending his free time now? With God or with all of his extra wives and concubines? But on a political note, by requesting Michael back... David was wanting to seal an alliance with Saul's family line. So with the exception that Michael was remarried and didn't love David anymore, this was quite a shrewd political move. 2 Samuel 3.20 When Abner, who had twenty men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for you, Lord the king so that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may rule over all your heart's desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. All right, the peace process has been started, and we have to understand that Abner was about to receive a handsome reward for his involvement in this transaction. All has gone smoothly, and it is no wonder because Joab wasn't present. When Joab finds out, he is furious. Second Samuel 3.22 just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David and Abron, because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with them arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he's gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you were doing. Joab then left David, sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Sarah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber. 
as if to speak with them privately, and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord, considering the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and his entire family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy, or leans on a crutch, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks food. Now Josephus really spends some considerable space here to explain how Joab murdered Abner because of vengeance, but gives extra weight to the fact that Abner would possibly be offered Joab's job over the army for his part in this arrangement with David. Selfish Joab murdered the man who procured peace. Adding to the hatred, yet shrewdness of Joab, he does a terrible thing in the eyes of the Lord. Hebron is considered one of the cities of refuge, one of the cities set aside by God for men to go to seek refuge if they accidentally kill someone to receive mercy from the avenger of blood. Here is Abner, who comes to Hebron to make peace with Israel, indicating his desire for peace and mercy. Here in this place of refuge, Abner should have received mercy for the killing of Asahel. It says that Joab took Abner to an inner chamber, but the Hebrew actually states that he was taken to the city gate, implying Joab made sure to take Abner just outside of the city before he committed his deed. Joab committed premeditated murder deliberately knowing Hebron was a city of refuge. He still avenged his brother's blood, committing not only the sin against God and his king of dishonor and murder, but making sure not to break God's command of avenging blood in the city of refuge. Really twisted that this Joab would have the conviction to care about the city of refuge, but not care about murder or dishonor to his king. So when David learns of the murder, he freaks out. Second Samuel 3.31 Then David said to Joab and all the people with them, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the bier. He buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also, and the king said, Sing this lament over Abner. Should Abner have died as a lawless die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked, and all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me ever so severely if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to the men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak, and these sons of Zeruah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to the evil deeds. So I have to believe David was sincerely upset with this action, but also he had to make sure all in Israel knew the truth. For if the other tribes thought he killed Abner, they would have never joined him in his cause. In addition, if the king did not repent of a murder in or just outside of a city of refuge, there would be judgment on the land. The other tribes recognize his sincerity and join him and declare him king in the next episode. Joab gets away with murder, at least for the moment. 
most likely because David knew Joab commanded the loyalty of the army, and David didn't want to confront his commander-in-chief in the middle of a merger of two kingdoms. He needed Joab's skills, and he was also his nephew. But Joab's ruthlessness will show again to torment David, and David will regret the fact that he didn't deal with Joab sooner. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, it would be best to compare the mercy and grace of David with the ruthless self-ambition of Joab. But I don't have to. As you know, we love to hear from the audience a Message to Kings from time to time. Recently, we've enjoyed hearing from the audience and are stirred by some of the feedback. After last episode, we received some great feedback and one of them was so timely, we can't help but quote it in this episode. Brant Frost, a Reformed Presbyterian from Georgia, sent us some of his journaling from a few years ago regarding Joab and King David. It is so fitting. It would be wrong of me to not conclude this episode with Brant Frost's notes regarding King David and Joab. General Joab, Ben Zerua, Israel's Frank Underwood. This is a reference to a character in the House of Cards TV show. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Proverbs 21, 2. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. In today's world, there are two kinds of Christian politicians, the Joabs and the Davids. David was a smart politician who trusted God and used God's means to achieve God's ends. Joab was a crafted general and politician who trusted on his own devices and achieved his own ends. He was a Frank Underwood of David's government. Think not that Joab was indispensable to the cause of David. Joab's murder of two men, we covered one in this episode, there'll be a future murder as well, was not necessary to God's plan for David. Joab saw the world through the lines of man's conspiracies. David saw the world through the lines of God's sovereignty. Joab didn't trust the Lord to protect him. David did. Joab saw the world through men's actions. David through God's providences. When we think that the success of the Davids is due to Joab's, we have cut God out of the picture and made man and man's craftiness the measure of all things. Trust the Lord and dare to be a David. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we cover an upper room assassination and David becomes king over all of Israel. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.